I don't know about you, I've gotten some notifications this week making sure that I'm registered to vote. Seems, seems a little early, you know, but you know, we're just making sure everyone's registered. We've got an election here in over a year, but got to make sure we're registered. And you know, it is campaign season, heading into that season, and one of the things that everybody seems to be measuring these days is crowd size. You know, how many people can these politicians get to one of their rallies? But politicians aren't the only ones who measure crowd size, you know. You go anywhere and, uh, you know, it's how many people are coming to the stadium to go to the baseball game, how many people are going to the football game, how many people are going through the store, how many people are coming to the restaurant, how many people are coming to church. What if, though, that the measuring stick for the church was different? What if church wasn't just some place we went, but it was who we were? What if at the church, we weren't so much about calling people to come and, hey, serve in these ministries we've got here, but the church was really about, come, let us equip you so that you can go there. What what if at the end of the church service, there wasn't this invitation to join the church this week, but there was an invitation to go start a Bible study in your neighborhood this week? What, What if the church wasn't just some place we went, but it was an equipping station to send us out there. What if our first thinking when we got to the church wasn't, okay, what programs are here, what ministries are here, what's going on here, but what if it was, okay, how is this church equipping people to send them there? What if the church wasn't so much about how many people came, but about how many people went? to join God's mission in every sphere of society, in every corner of culture? What if the church believed in a Jesus so big that we wanted to be on his mission, that we believed that he was actually filling every corner of culture, every sphere of society, and that he was using his church to do it? What if the church was actually made for more? It seems that's exactly what Paul wants to get through our heads in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 specifically, I want you to see it, Ephesians 1, 13 through 23. Ephesians 1, 13 to 23. And to jog your memory, or if you're new with us this morning, uh, Paul's writing from prison. And he's writing this circular letter, okay? It's not simply to the church in Ephesus. It's to all the churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And he's, he's writing to these churches t- to let them know that they are made for more. And he begins this letter with this symphony of praise to the triune God. He starts with the blessings of the Father, and then he moves to the work of the Son. And then we'll see this morning the, the sealing, the security provided by the Spirit. And he begins with this foundation foundational understanding about how big our God is so that these saints, these, these imperfect but never quitting, never throwing in the towel Christians understand that our God is so big and he affects everything. Let, let me show you. Ephesians 1, 13 through 23. Paul writes, in him that is in Christ, you also When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, 
Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, who fills everything in every way. Up to this point, we've talked about the blessings of the Father, right? We've went through and you just look at the verbs in the first part of chapter one and how, how God the Father chose us and predestined us and adopted us and blessed us and how before the foundations of the world, he had a plan. And then in that plan, how the Son stepped out to make the will of the Father a reality and we look at the work of the Son and we see how the Son made this reality, this decision of the Father a reality, and how, how the Son redeemed us, how he paid for us, how through Jesus Christ, God's grace, the Father's grace has continued to be lavished upon us, and how an inheritance has been given to us. And then Paul gets to the work of the Spirit, the sealing, the security of the Spirit. This is the work of God, the Spirit. It's how he ends it, this symphony of praise to the triune God. He's expanding our minds with how big this God is. And so you get to the work of the Spirit. Paul says first, hey, I, I want to remind you about you. You, you, need to, you need to remember just who you are first. And he says, first, you heard the word of truth. Now, Paul lived in a world not so unlike our own. I mean, his world was full of all kind of distorted ideas, all kind of godless philosophies. And then as now, there were many delusions and illusions. They ran rampant. And the gospel, the word of truth, is a return to reality. It is truth. It allows you to see the big picture. It is the end of the illusion. It is reality. And so the, the word of truth, it confronts our denials. It confronts all of our false and self-deceptive thinking that tells us that, hey, we're really not so bad. That, that, hey, yeah, we have mistakes, but, you know, there's nothing really seriously wrong with us. There's just little quirks that we need to deal with. We make mistakes like anybody else, but, hey, we're basically good people. The word of truth comes crashing into our denial to wake us up to the fact that our condition is so bad so desperate that our sin had to be nailed to God the Son, Jesus Christ, on that cross. That this is how desperate our situation was, how truly incurable our state was from a human perspective. That we just couldn't get out of this on our own. But the word of truth also tells us that in Christ, he didn't leave us that way. That the that God the Son stepped out of heaven, he became human, and he entered into our mess, and he took all of our mess upon himself, and he went to our cross, 
And he died the death that we deserved to die. He, he became this man of sorrows. But he defeated the cross in order to redeem us, to buy us back so that we could be adopted into the family of God, to experience the freedom, the joy, the purpose that comes with being a child of God. Paul's reminding you, you got to know this word of truth. He says this is the, prerequ the prerequisite, this essential prerequisite to have a relationship with Jesus. And it's this, it's to believe the word of truth, to believe it. Now, we do all kinds of funny things with that word belief today. You know, we, we talk about, hey, I, I believe that the Redskins are going to win this afternoon. You know, right? <laughs> I believe that it's going to be a nice, sunshiny week the rest of the week. I believe, you know, Steve's probably going to finish preaching in about 35 minutes. You know, we can go enjoy a meal. But we don't really know, right? Sometimes it's more like a hope or I think or, hey, better than 50-50 shot, this is going to happen. See, we, we've, dis, we've kind of distorted this word belief and we, we've watered it down a little bit. The word belief, the way Paul is writing, it is accepting Jesus at his word and acting accordingly. It is, I am so sure that what this word tells me is true, that I will then live my life based upon it. I will act in accordance with the scriptures. Because anything less is just, well, I hope, I think, uh, more than 50-50 chance, belief is, I am convinced and I will therefore act accordingly. And once that belief is there, then the work of the Spirit happens, Paul says, that we are sealed by the Spirit. We're sealed by the Spirit. And the original hearers of this, of this letter, remember they heard it, it was, it was probably read aloud by one guy in the crowd, and they would hear the letter. And as they heard it, and they hear this sealing, they're thinking of a letter. And they're thinking of how you would have a ring on your finger, and, you would, you would, and the ring would have this enlarged seal on it and you would press that ring into the wax of the letter to imprint, to impress this seal on the wax to make sure that letter's staying shut. And to also say, hey, we've all got our marks and I'm marking it so that you know that this is from me. The seal reveals two things, ownership and preservation. It, it reveals ownership and preservation. And Paul's saying, don't you see? You've been marked by the image of God. He, he's impressed his seal upon you. See, he who bought you owns you. Jesus paid his blood for you, and now he owns you. He said, you're mine. I've got you. I, I'm sealing you. His spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The mark of his lordship is present over our lives. But not just that, it also preserves our lives. Because God's not going to lose any who are his. Our eternity is now secure. The Holy Spirit cannot be unsealed. All right? We will not all of a sudden be de-gifted. Right? There will not be this tension in the Trinity where those who Christ died for now say, wait, did he really die for them? Because now it looks like maybe he didn't. No, it is secure. He is the guarantee of our inheritance, that part of our inheritance that we have not yet acquired yet. Until we acquire all of it, his spirit has sealed us. 
He's marked us and he preserves us and it's all to the praise of his glory. It's all to the praise of his glory. And did you catch it? In the work of the Father, in the work of the Son, and now the Spirit, it's all to the praise of his glory. Paul repeats that phrase three times. To the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Why? Because Paul wants the church to know just how big this God is. That we need a God this big. We need more Jesus. He's wanting the church to get it. And as Paul praises this God who's this big to the praise of his glory, then he moves and he begins to think about the church. He says, for this reason, I've been praying for you. He just shifts his attention. And he does something incredible as he does that. He shifts all of this doctrinal truth about the triune God that he's just kind of explained and praised God for being the kind of God that he is. And now he's going to say, hey, this is what I've been praying for you. And everything that he prays for the church is what he just said about God. He said, I'm praying that you understand everything I just said. That everything I've told you about God the Father, about God the Son, about God the Spirit, I want you to understand it all. And he's convinced that this church needs it. He's also convinced that they've, they've already got some of it because he says, every time I hear about you, right, and he's over here in prison, that word is spreading about your faith, the faith of these churches in Asia Minor. Word is spreading about your faith in this triune God, this big triune God, and also not only that, your love for all the saints, all the saints, Right? It's not, well, you know, we love most of the people at our church, but there's a few. We just try to avoid, you know, keep it arm's length. No, we've heard how you love all the saints. Even those who are a little more difficult or whose personalities maybe clash a little bit with yours, you love all the saints. What a great testimony. They will know us by our love for one another. And Paul says, I recognize that this is of God because you love each other. And Paul says, I want you to know that I am praying for you. And I just keep on praying for you. I have this continued prayer that I pray for you. See, Paul, Paul he's well aware of the lethargic, apathetic attitudes that can often set into the church, to the frustration that can often build up in the church. He, he knows that this world is in process He knows that the world is in a mess. He knows that it needs to be united under the lordship of Christ, but it's not all there yet. And he knows that as we live in a world of mess, that sometimes our circumstances seem bigger than Jesus. And he says, I want to confront that attitude. I don't want you to have this lethargy that says, oh, do I have to keep trying again? Do I have to get up and do it again? Or this apathetic attitude, you know, who am I? I'm just one person out here trying to make a difference. Is it really making a difference? Or this frustration that I keep doing the right thing, but man, these other people in the church, they, they just don't get it. They're not stepping up. How come they're not doing more in this frustration? See, disunity breeds disunity, you know. You get a little disunity here, and then other people look at that disunity, and then they're all of a sudden, now they're not unified either because they're upset with how other people are acting. And that's what happens. And Paul says, I'm I'm writing to you so you will know this continued prayer that I'm praying over you. Because I don't want you to fall into these attitudes of lethargy or apathy or frustration. 
Because sometimes disunity seems bigger than Jesus. He says, no, I want you to know. I want you to understand how big our God is, our need to shift from more effort to more Jesus. He's already seen it. Paul's already seen what happens. He saw with the Galatians. And so he says, I just keep praying for you. You imperfect saints who aren't thrown in the towel, but who are marked by faith and love. And then Paul does something revolutionary here, you know. He actually tells them what he prays for them. He actually tells them, he says, hey, here's what I'm praying for you, so they know. And his prayer matches his theology. He, he praises the triune God, and now he prays that this church would know and understand the triune God better. Why? Because there's always more to know of this God. That we will never exhaust all there is to know about the bigness, the hugeness of our omnipotent, omnipresent God. And he says, I pray that you know him better, that you know more of this God who is so big, because there's always more to know. And Paul wants them to know him, to understand him more and more each day. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I don't know. I'm just going to have to take that by faith. I don't, I don't understand all that. I'm just going to take it by faith. Paul says, that's a great starting point, but I'm praying for you, church, that you would know it intellectually, that you would know it emotionally, that you would know God experientially, this big God. I pray that you understand the hope to which you've been called, this glorious inheritance. And part of that inheritance is God himself. I pray that you know the immeasurable greatness of the power given to you in Jesus. Do you hear that prayer that you would know the immeasurable greatness given to us in Jesus? I mean, Paul is praying to such a big God that he's able to ask such big things. He's asking that we finite, small-minded people would understand the immeasurable greatness of God given to us in Christ, all of this omnipotent power, a power that cannot be contained a power that knows no boundaries, a power that you just can't put in some kind of box and put on a scale and measure it. He says, I want you to know and understand it all. I'm praying that you get all that. I mean, the greediness of this prayer, the greatness of our God determines the size of our prayers. You understand that? The greatness of our God determines the size of our prayers. Are our prayers always just circumstantial prayers and God wants to know the circumstances of our lives? Or do you ever pray prayers that reach into the realm of what seems like the unknowable? That we would know this God more. Prayers that are almost laughable, that are just so audacious. Prayers of true fellowship with this sovereign, omnipotent, omnipresent God. Here's a good check, okay? First of all, do you pray? Right? That's the foundational starting point. Do you pray at all to begin with? Do you pray? Or is it just, hey, I believe prayer is a good idea, and we should pray, or do you actually pray regularly? Or is it just, hey, it's, you know, when things are really hard, then I go to God, but do you pray? So that's number one. But, because you got to get in the routine of talking to God, but then what are you praying for? Who are you praying for? 
Is the majority of your time when you pray focused on the circumstances of this world? Is the majority of the time when you pray focused on your own life or the lives of friends and the circumstances of this world? Or is the majority of the time when you pray focused on God and who he is and the expansion of knowing and understanding him so that our God would become bigger and we would become smaller? So, so that the circumstances of this life don't seem so big because we don't get so close to them. Instead, we move away from the circumstances, we get close to Jesus, and he whisks us up so that we can see them, the bigger slice of reality, the way that God is working to become, to unite all things in himself so that he will be seen as all in all. When we have a big God, we pray big prayers. And you see... Oftentimes, in the church, we have a small Jesus, and so we pray small prayers. We think they're big. They seem big to us because we stand so close to the circumstances. And we think, oh, God, if you can deliver us from these circumstances, wow, that's a big prayer. Because we stand so close here. But when we stand close to Jesus all of a sudden our prayers take on a different light, a different tone, because we're seeing, we're working into the realms of the unknown, of this God who's so big, and we know I can't even begin to grasp him, but I want to understand him more. This is what Paul's praying for the church, that you know more Jesus, that you just understand more Jesus. And then the prayers become so outlandish. I mean, you read a prayer like this that Paul's praying, and it's almost laughable. I want to read this last section to you again. I just want you to hear it. And just pay attention. Just listen to it. Don't even, don't even look at it yourself. Just listen to this as the, first, as the first hearers would have heard it. I'll start in the middle of verse 18, but just Listen. Paul writes, and I'm just kind of jumping in, I'm praying that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Do you catch what Paul is saying? He can't even put a period in there, right? I mean, did you listen to that? It's just one giant run-on sentence. He says, I want you to know this about Jesus. Oh, yeah, and there's this, and there's this, and there's this. There's always more. There's always more. He can't even put a period in there. I can barely read the thing. Because it just goes and goes. And he says, I want you to understand a Jesus who is this big. There's always more to get. Paul's great prayer for the church is that we would understand this more Jesus. And then watch this. His theology proper, his understanding of the triune God, affects his ecclesiology, his understanding of who the church is made to be. Do you see that? What he believes about God then impacts what he believes about the church. And he believes that the church is made for more. God, Paul's great prayer for the church 
is that the church would wake up to who God has made the church to be. Because the church is made. When, when Paul wrote that Jesus works to unite all things in himself, now Paul's writing and he tells us how Jesus is doing it. He says Jesus is doing that through his body, which is the church, which fills everything in every way. He's using us. He says, I want you to understand this. But when the church is just a place we go, and it's not who we are, we get a little Jesus. And we get this little Jesus syndrome. And you see the signposts on our hearts. We see it. We forget we need more Jesus, and we settle for more effort when we, walk, when we offer worship without awe, when we offer prayers without faith, when we offer service without joy, when we offer suffering without perseverance. Have you ever been there? Have you, have you ever experienced that little Jesus syndrome? And those are just a couple examples, worship without awe. First, you got to define worship. So many times in the church, what we do is we take a concept so big, like the church, okay, and we water it down and we make it mean something less. The, the church is not just a building we go to. The church is who we are. The church is the people of God, saved by the power of God for the purposes of God. That's the church. And worship is not just the songs we sing. Paul would write to the Romans, he would write that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. That is worship. He says, this is what worship is, just my daily life given for the purposes of God. That's worship. But do you ever go through life and you don't think, this is, this is worship? Or are you just going through the motions? You're just checking off your to-do list. You're just doing what you're doing because you're just in the routine of life. It's worship without awe. It's a little Jesus syndrome. Or do you live life with this sense of awe that the sovereign God over all creation has chosen to use you and he has purposes for you? And even in this moment, from the most mundane things to the most gut-wrenching, hard things of life, that his purposes are being used through you, that he wants to do that. And there's an awe that takes place about that. Do you worship with a sense of awe? Do you, do you, do you pray without faith? Have you ever been there? Yeah, that's, that's little Jesus syndrome. I'm just going through the mud. Hey, I'm just praying these prayers, and it'd sure be great. But, you know, I don't know if they'll really get answered. Does God really hear? Does he really care? I feel like I've been saying the same prayer for all these years, and nothing seems to happen. Or do you pray with great expectant faith that, God, you're, you're going to work here. It may not even be the way I'm thinking, but, God, you're, you're going to work here. You have this limitless power. That's a prayer with faith. Have you ever served without joy? Have you ever just shown up and just kind of looking at your watch and saying, okay, how much longer? When's this going to be over? Have you ever complained and been like, ah, oh, you know, if, if we'd had this done and this all taken care of and if this would have looked like this, it could have been so much better. You complain. 
When you recruit people, do you recruit people to a small thing to serve? Like, hey, it's not really that big of a deal. It's not that big of a commitment. There's not that much, you know, but if you could just show up and do this small little thing, that'd be great. Or are you calling people to serve the purposes of God? That the omnipotent God of the universe, he wants to use you in this. And I don't know, I don't know what he's going to teach you, but I know it's going to be good. And it might be hard. It might seem easy on the outset, but it might be hard. It's going to be good that I'm calling you to something big. See, the heart with which you serves reveals the size of your God. Have you ever suffered without perseverance? Have you ever gone through a hard time, a difficult time? And all, all you want to do is complain about it. All you want to do is ask, why me? Well, why does this happen to our family? Why is this taking place? Or, you know, somebody does something to you and you just start gossiping. Hey, everyone needs to know how bad they are. I, I, got, I got to let people know. I need to warn some people. Or do you suffer and in the midst of your suffering you persevere because you serve a God who is bigger than circumstances? See, that's the mark of big Jesus. But so often in the church, we fall into this little Jesus syndrome. But Paul is praying. He says, church, I want you to know you have a big God, a limitless God, a God beyond understanding. And I'm praying that you would grasp a little more of him each day, each moment as we live lives of worship to him. See, his theology impacts his ecclesiology. With the big vision of God comes a big vision for the church. And Paul says that this big God who's uniting all things in Jesus is doing it through his church. He's doing it through us. That Jesus fills all in all. He fills everything in every way. And he does that through his body, which is the church. Every corner of culture, every sphere of society... Man, that's a big vision. You know, Starbucks has a big vision. Starbucks' vision is to get a cup of coffee into the hands of everybody on the planet. That's a big, that's a big vision. God's vision for the church is so much bigger than that. His vision for the church is to use us to fill every corner of culture, every sphere of society, every crack and crevice out there so that all things will be united under the lordship of Jesus. And that's the mission we're called to. That's what he's called us to. And you know what we want to do? We want to back away from a vision that big. We want to make it a little smaller. We're not the only ones, you know. It's, it's, it's the heart of humanity. You go back to the early church, and the best way to connect with people at that time, similar to today, is over a meal, right? You have a meal with people, you sit down, you talk, you share, and you have life, and you connect with them. Well, in those days, in the Gentile world, they had all this meat, and what they did with the meat is they sacrificed it to idols, right? They offered it to idols so that the idols would bless this meat. And the Christians are saying, that's ungodly. Right? You're taking this meat and you're sacrificing it to idols. That's ungodly. We shouldn't really have anything to do with that, right? Because they know, hey, if I don't have to do anything, if I don't have anything to do with all this meat sacrificed to idols, what does that mean? I never have to eat with them. 
I never have to fellowship with them. Maybe I could just walk by and see them on a street corner and hand them an invite to our church service or something. Or maybe if there's time, I can have a little conversation about Jesus. But I don't really have to engage their disunity. I don't really have to get into their mess and sit at a table with them and fellowship with them. Because after all, they are ungodly, aren't they? The answer comes back. God can redeem the idol meat. Our God is so big that he's bigger than all those false gods, all those idols. He can redeem the idol meat. You can go and you can share their meat and you can offer the redemption so that Jesus can fill all in all through you. But see, we do the same thing, don't we? Instead of engaging the culture and being the church, we're much more comfortable in just saying, come here, come here. Here's an invite card. We, we got great things, and invite cards are great. We use them. But see, we, we like to settle for the small thing, right? Instead of saying, hey, I, I'm going to start a parenting group in Virginia Beach, like Judy's talking about. We often think, come to our parenting group right here. We think, oh, the church could really use like a a men's group or a women's group or a youth group. or Maybe we should be starting men's groups, women's groups, youth groups in our neighborhoods with our sports teams. Maybe we really should start being the church that sees Jesus fill all in all, that we're not scared of culture because what we do is we look and we say, what about our kids It doesn't seem safe, we think. What about our testimony? If I start engaging that, we think. What what, what will other people say, we think? Or maybe we don't even think at all. Maybe we fall into a trap that says, just come to church. This is somewhere we go. Instead of this is who we are. Well, this morning is a call to more. It is a recognition that we serve a big God. A Jesus who is more, who is at work filling everything in every way through us. So that all things can be united in him. So that he can rightly be seen as all in all. It is an understanding that Jesus fills everything in every way through his body, the church. And so if you're ready to embrace that calling, if you're ready to look at the mission fields of your own life and to embrace this calling to be this everyday missionary that God has made you to be, we want to commission you off this morning. And so you've got those name tags And I just want to invite you now, just kind of as I'm talking, if you haven't filled it out already, just write your name on there and your mission field. And a mission field, get this, is always a lost place, right? Always a place that needs the gospel. A mission field is not a ministry here at church. It is a lost place in society that says, I must take Jesus there, right? And so just write that out, whatever your mission field is. And this is moving, This is the big jump as we talk about our vision for the church, that the thing that people need most if they don't know Jesus is to connect with Jesus, to know him, and then to connect with the family of God. 
And then that chair two disciple, the thing they need most, a chair two disciple needs most is to begin to, to grow. And we grow by being in a group, by being here, by building up the body and, and being involved in a ministry here where we serve one another with our gifts. And then there's that big jump where you cross the cultural divide into chair three and we say, I'm going to serve the world. I'm, I'm going to take the good news of Jesus Christ and I'm going to share Jesus and impact people. And I'm going to do it the way Jesus did. Just by going to people's homes like Zacchaeus and having a meal. By just being at a well with, with a woman and just really talking to her and getting to know her. I'm going to do that. I'm going to go and I'm going to engage. And that's what this is this morning. It's a call to chair three. And if you're willing to take that call into chair three, I just want you to write your name on there and your mission. And if you're not, if you say, well, Steve, I'm, I'm, I'm still over here. It's okay. I'm going to invite you and we have everyone come up. Just sit in the pews and be praying. It's okay. We don't want you to stay there. But if that's where you're at right now, it's okay. The church should never be a place where we put our guards up and our defenses up and we say, I can't be known. It should always be a place where we let our guards down and we say, here I am. Here's, here's, here's what's going on in my life. <laughs> and so that's what this is. There's no judgment. It's just, hey, if, if you're in chair one and two still, that's okay. We don't want to leave you there, but it's Okay. So right now, if you fill that up and you want to be commissioned off as an everyday missionary into whatever corner of culture, wherever it is you live, work, study, play, just come on up, come on up and ask Donnie and Ethan to, to come on up and help us as we pray. But I'm going to have you all just kind of stand here, whoever wants that, and we'll just pray a commissioning prayer over you like we do any missionary, because that's who we're called to be. We're called to be missionaries that reaches into every corner of culture, every sphere of society. As people are coming, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I did an internship at a church in Fort Lauderdale. And this is what, and this, is what this looks like a little bit. Um, it, there were some couples in the church who looked at the foster care system in Fort Lauderdale, and they said, this thing is broken. Like, th these kids who need good homes, and they're just not getting into good homes. Like, what, what's going on? And so they, they, they wanted to be foster parents is where the whole thing started. And they got in. They became foster parents. They got some other people in the church excited. And all these people in the church started becoming foster parents. And all these great things were happening in the foster care system in Fort Lauderdale that the city of Fort Lauderdale went to the church and said, will you help us? <laughs> and then this church was able to see Jesus fill the foster care system in every way. Because they just said, I'm going to engage this area of brokenness in our society, and I want to see it whole. So that's what we're praying for this morning, that you're all going to go off and to, to wherever it is that you've put on your card. Say, I want to engage this area of brokenness because I want to see Jesus fill it in every way, and I believe he's going to use me to do it that the church really is the people of God 
saved by the power of God for the purposes of God. Let me commission you this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these saints. These saints who are imperfect, but yet faithful. Not throwing in the towel, but saying, I want to engage the purposes that you have for me. And so, God, I pray for protection over their testimonies. I pray that they would live lives that reflect who you are and and what you've done in their lives. And, God, I pray that as they go out, that they would walk with and step with your spirit, empowered by your spirit, as they take the fullness of Christ into whatever corner of creation you have them. God, I pray that they would not shrink back, but that they would engage with joy, with hope, with love. And they would take this good news of Jesus. And it wouldn't just be a message that the people they engage wouldn't just be a project, but they would be people who they love, who they get to know, who they engage, so that the fullness of who you are can be expressed through them and then into the people they are ministering to. Father, I pray that you use this, your church, to be who you've designed your church to be, to go out into every corner of creation, every sphere of society, with this understanding that you are working to unite all things under the lordship of Jesus. And God, may we go with awe. May we worship with awe. May we pray big prayers of faith. May we serve with joy. And when suffering hits, may we persevere because we understand you are more. You are bigger than our circumstances. God, we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen. All right. You can make your way back. And you're sent to share Jesus to impact people so that Jesus can be seen as all in all.